Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Adam Jackson, who is the CEO of Braintrust, the world's first user-controlled network that connects organizations to highly skilled tech talent. And before Braintrust, Adam was the co-founder and CEO of Doctor On Demand, a company that has raised tens of millions of dollars. He's also had two seven-figure exits over time, started, I think, four total businesses, and has a plethora of experience in marketplace businesses specifically, but more broadly, just being an entrepreneur essentially his entire adult life, always been a creator. And in this episode, we dive into how he launched and grew Brain Trust talk more about Doctor on Demand, how that happened with with Dr. Phil, actually, and so much more in this episode. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show by leaving a rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe, 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 of course. Without further ado, here's Adam Jackson, CEO of Brain Trust. Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, and so much to discuss with your story and the number of different businesses you started and invested in companies. And uh, what right now, I would start with, though, with, with Brain Trust being the, the current business. How did Brain Trust uh, get started, Adam? Sure. Uh, so, Brain Trust, uh, by the way, just for context, is a global talent marketplace that connects technical talent, designers, engineers, with US Fortune 1000 companies that find it very difficult to hire and retain these folks. So we're a global talent marketplace. And our kind of unique twist is we are owned and operated by our users instead of a central corporation. And uh, I started working on this about two years ago. Uh, I came across the idea because I have been a marketplace entrepreneur and investor my entire career. I've been built, this is my fourth one, been building two-sided marketplaces, investing in many. And this like sort of very grave problem with these marketplaces started to emerge and become obvious, not just in my business, but we're seeing it play out in the gig economy over time. Yeah. And that is these two-sided marketplaces are very capital intensive to get off the ground. And so what you know, sit from eBay being the first one all the way up to the the modern ones like Uber and Airbnb, what you see is, you know, the way they grow is they raise hundreds of millions, then billions of dollars of venture capital, and they use that money to subsidize one or both sides of the marketplace. And if they're lucky, it gets off the ground and gets liquidity. But what what happens, the, the, the side effect of that is that you end up having a marketplace owned by investors instead of the people who actually make a living on the marketplace. Right. And so therein lies this grave problem of divergent incentives because the, the investors now need to get a return out of all that capital. How do you get that return? Dial up the taxes. And in this case, by taxes, I mean marketplace transaction fees. And so as a marketplace enters its S-curve of growth, it really starts ramping, as so do the fees, right? And so as a marketplace gets scale, the incentives between the operator and the users start to diverge. And then, and, and what, it, what that actually does is it starts to erode market uh, network effects and yep. it creates its disincentive, right? It, create, it makes it so the users are being overly extracted from and, and, and would do anything to get away from the operator. And we're seeing this play out at scale now with 
you know, the, the Ubers and Lyfts of the world with Postmates and DoorDashes with in Amazon Marketplace, where, where Amazon takes a giant fee just for the privilege of, of selling. So <laughs> Brain Trust is a brand new business model that is meant to invert that those those disastrous economics. And the way we do that is instead of raising billions of dollars from investors to pay employees and sub and, and basically subsidize the marketplace, we give away ownership and control in our marketplace to our users in exchange for them doing the work of building out the marketplace. And then that's sort of a new business model enabled by a new technology blockchain. And so I'll pause there. That was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's great for context. And I think it's important for people to understand that. And we will definitely dive much deeper into marketplaces specifically and kind of going back in your history. But to the point of what you just said, the, the complexities of starting a new model and giving them ownership, what have those been as you've been building out brain trust? Sure. So marketplaces in and of themselves are hard to build, right? You, you, you're, you've got two customers, supply and demand, that have probably very different needs and personas. And so you've got to get those two together, build trust, and get them to transact. So that that in and of itself is hard, right? Uh, yeah. it, this is, I mean, Craigslist is the first one to do that, and and you know, I think he was pretty genius how he figured that out. What thirty years ago now? Um, Absolutely. And, and there's, you know, certainly way more of these fail than succeed. The second complexity, as it comes to brain trust, is explaining a new model of ownership and incentive mechanism powered by this blockchain token, right? But wh where we are with tokens right now is like where we were with email in 1988, right? It's like, yeah, I mean, maybe that'll be useful someday. I mean, <laughs> you know, we're, we're still mailing letters, we're still buying stamps, right? And sure. so, you know, a, a token replacing a share of stock as, as an ownership and control, control instrument, it, it's still a foreign concept. So those are, I, we, we chose to start a project that mixes two very hard things together to make a super hard thing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I love the ambition, Adam. <laughs> yeah. But obviously it's something where you, you decide to do this because it's worthwhile. There's different miles that are broken or it's just not the route you wanted to go. Understanding that to your point, it takes hundreds of millions and not billions of dollars to even make those marketplaces work. Then with Brain Trust too, assembling the team for this company, understanding of the blockchain side of things, there's some different things with that. How have you gone about that with with this company? Uh, so our our team, it's unique. Uh, we're we're a pretty sophisticated tech enabled talent marketplace. So we connect engineers, designers, developers with big companies like Nestle, PwC, Porsche, Deloitte. Um, who need these engineers to do big projects, but but have a real tough time hiring them in house. And so our marketplace has to like work really well, look really good, all that stuff. And so what's interesting is we were because, you know, our talent, our supply side actually build software for a living. Yeah. We have been building brain trust by putting jobs on brain trust. And so very meta, right? Um, oh, super meta. I love it. Yeah. And and so we actually don't have any engineers for, on, on the core team. We I'm the only architect engineer on the entire team. We only have eight people, uh, not counting my, my co-founder and I, uh, on the team. Um, and we've built, you know, a, a network that's transacting millions and millions of dollars a year uh, in labor. And, and so all of the hard work, like of building product and 
uh, writing code and even marketing. We have no marketing team. All, like almost all the marketing has been done by freelancers in our community on our platform in exchange for token ownership of the platform. And explain this a little bit more with the token ownership of the platform. What, how much you're getting, how how that converts to eventually to understanding what that makes in, in terms of like a dollar monetary amount at some point. Uh, I think people will be curious to understand how that works uh, as they're interested in joining Brain Trust, especially through the talent side of it as well. For sure. So the the monetary, the financial reason to join Brain Trust actually, ironically, has very little to do with the token. It has it has to do with our business model. So if you're, let's say you're a great designer uh, and, and you kind of have two ways to find gigs. You can go out and pitch yourself, which is incredibly time consuming and, and you know may not work. It's hard to do as a solo. Uh, or you join a marketplace like 99designs or Fiverr or Upwork. Right. And there you're going to, you know, it's very hard to stand out because they're very overloaded with supply globally. Um, it's very and, and you're you're paying pretty sizable fees to the platform. Right. It could be anywhere from 15 to 45, 50 percent. Right. So yeah. you're giving, you know, half your income away to a platform. And so and, and you're probably not winning business. And so you come to Brain Trust because we throw all that away. It's a highly curated system, so we don't allow supply to too heavily outstrip demand, one, so you're going to stand out. Two, um, we don't take any fees from you. You show up, you say your rate's 100 bucks an hour, you earn 100 bucks an hour. Easy. And so that's the economic incentive for talent to join Brain Trust. The reason you'd want the token is different. Uh, one, we're, we're building a system where you can use tokens to differentiate your bids. In a, in a competitive bidding, bidding environment, you're essentially putting the tokens in escrow and saying, look, client, you know, I'm so serious about this job that I'll put, you know, 10% of my bid uh, in escrow in the form yep. of the brain trust token. And if I'm a bad actor, I don't show up or something, I'll lose the tokens and you can keep them. And so it's kind of like putting your money where your mouth is. And, uh, and it, what it does is it lets you stand out in a bidding process. It lets clients know that you're serious and uh, and so you're winning more business, right? And so, so your incentive is to earn and and keep these tokens in order to differentiate yourself. And that that bid staking process that so you, you, there's number one. Number two is you vote with these tokens. So hmm. our users will have complete control over the platform via voting the token. So a lot of people might say, yeah, who cares about control, right? Like people don't vote their vote their Facebook shares, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> even if they did, it wouldn't matter, right? There's only yeah, only right. one only one guy over there's vote matters. Uh, no, exactly. But, <laughs> but but you know what's interesting though, in it if you're a user on a marketplace and you use that marketplace to make your living, you care quite a lot about what the rules are. I'll give you an example. I mean there's so many awful examples, but the one of the more recent ones is, you know, DoorDash, the food delivery system. They roll out a feature last year that allows uh, the people who order the food to tip their dasher. The dasher is the person who brings it. Uh, cat, you know, cash tip through the app. Uh, and then yeah, they roll this feature out. A lot of people use it. DoorDash <laughs> makes a decision to just keep all those tips and book them as revenue. Steal, uh, steals them from the drivers, right? Yeah. And, and so if DoorDash had been built the way Braintrust is being built, that would have been physically impossible. To make a change to the uh, financial rules of the network has to be voted on by the users and our users are majority talent. So the ta so t talent's never going to vote to 
you know, screw itself. And so that those two things, staking and voting, are the two strong reasons to earn tokens, to, to, to own tokens in our network. And the only way to get our brain trust tokens, we can't, we're not going to sell them to you. The only way to get them is to help us build the network. What does that mean? Invite your friends, earn tokens. Invite new clients, earn tokens. Tweet about us, earn tokens. <laughs> right? All these things that we would have raised $100 million for, set up some overpriced office in San Francisco and paid 6,000 employees to do, we're not doing any of that. We never will. We're, we are pushing out all of the growth and re- duties and rewards out to our users. What I'm curious about with with hearing that and understand the incentives on the user side of it in terms of helping grow the platform and everything with that, then obviously they want to help in terms of looking at the the actual companies who come on board and getting more work, et cetera. But for them, it's not necessarily an incentive to have more people on the platform, is it, in terms of other users? So how are you going about that in terms of figuring out who you're curating on the, like the talent side of the network? Yeah, great, great point. It's a really, really nuanced uh, and interesting point. So so yeah, you you may not have if you're upset, let's say you're a Python developer, right? Like you, you may not have strong incentives to invite ten more Python developers. It's like all <laughs> right, right well, you know, I gotta compete with these guys, right? Um, and so that's probably not where those, those invites are going to come from. But we have other like there's actually five user types. There's there's developers, um, DevOps, security ops people, product managers, designers, and project managers. Those are the five types of people that are required to build a giant end-to-end software platform like you'd see built on Braintrust. And so yeah. uh, if I'm a Python developer, I might I might invite some of my UX designer friends uh, because they don't compete with me. I may want to work with them. But most importantly, I'm going to get some percentage of what those folks earn on Braintrust kicked back to me as a bonus in the form of our token. Gotcha. Right? So so our, our referral engine, it's a protocol. It's a it's a trustless system that allows anybody in the world to get a unique URL on Braintrust, invite people with that URL, and then earn bonuses paid in our token in perpetuity, per, per, just purely based on who signs up with that. So we have people we call connectors that come on to Braintrust, and they're just here to make introductions. They're not here to, to hire people or do work. They're just making intros because they're going to earn ownership in the platform uh, via those introductions. Yeah, which is really interesting. And the model itself is definitely fascinating. And that's when you have something that's new on board. It's always intriguing to me. And I've had a number of different people on the show so far doing like completely new business models. And it's, it's kind of fascinating to see how they're going about that. What I'm curious about too, then with, with the platform, with Brand Trust, then on the company side, how has that acquisition been going for you on that side of things? Uh, and then tying that into the business model for you as a company and making money off of this as well. Sure. So the, comp, the on the enterprise side, the demand side, we built this specifically for big U.S. enterprise companies that that are non-tech. So we're not, you know, Google, Facebook, Apple, Netflix. They they don't really have a problem with with tech talent. I mean, they, they kind of say they do, but like sort of the best of the right. It's already worked <laughs> they're there. Okay. Yeah. yeah, they're fine, right? But but like if you're, you know, Bank of America or uh, Nestle or Deloitte, like those are great companies, great brands. They're they're wonderful corporate corporate cultures largely, but but it's but it's tough for them. It's tougher for them to attract and retain full time tech talent because look, if these people are are leaving Facebook to go be entrepreneurs or or freelance on their own, 
they ain't going to work for the bank. Right. <laughs> yeah. So 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 that's the the need we fill for the enterprise. We aggregate these folks onto Brain Trust. We actually have a bunch of people that that were laid off from Uber and Airbnb recently, and uh, and other tech companies here uh, that have joined Brain Trust to be freelancers. And so these folks, they're not going to work full time for for these other companies, you know, the banks and the retail, uh, but they're happy to do cool projects. And so that's what we do for the clients. We we're, we're you know we're building like in-car software for Porsche. We actually just signed NASA as a client. We're building a system oh, wow. to track shipments to the space station. And so these are like, it's not like building a, a website or a logo for a dentist, right? These are massive, interesting, ongoing projects. And so um, when we started, my partner Gabe and I started uh, selling this to enterprises like end of last year. The, the mood with the enterprise customer was, okay, yeah, like we know we need this. Um, you know, we know we can't get this talent inside our four walls. We got to think about it outside. But but there's always this sort of like tone, this like anachronistic thinking amongst the enterprise customer of like, you know, we're building core stuff here. We'd really like butts in seats. You know, we'd like to be able to have these folks in our office in St. Louis or Dearborn or Atlanta and kind of look over their shoulder and whatever. And look, that was never realistic. Right. Pre-COVID. Then right. COVID hits. Then the lockdown hits. And it's like. The, sh the thinking shifted, not overnight. It took, I'd say it took about two months to, sh to shift. <laughs> uh, and, and, and then they came back to us, you know, March, the lockdown hits April, everybody seized up. We, we all thought we were, we were, you know, done for. And then May was bad. And then June, they started calling us back and said, look, uh, you know, we, our stock didn't go to zero. We're all still here. Um, now we're like three months behind on these major software projects. You know, those two or three roles we were thinking about posting a brain trust. It's now 30 or 40. Hmm. It's got to be 200 by the end of the year. So, you know, it's like, look, what, what they sort of knew and, and but were tacitly resisting with remote teams before COVID, they now recognize as the new normal going forward. And so that was the tailwind that really took brain trust into this kind of what we're, we're now in this hyper growth mode of, of like 50% month over month growth. So understanding that side of things. And so the, the actual talent on they're keeping hundred percent of their fee, they get tokens and everything. And then, uh, I mean, just cause I'm what the kind of business model for you is then with this on, on that side, like, is it just kind of a per project basis and more of an ongoing thing that you're going to need talent? how did you decide on that side of things? Yeah, it, it, we do both. It, uh, we, we do projects. So like we built an insurance uh, comparison shopping engine for Blue Cross. That was a big project. The, the space station thing is uh, another big project. But we also do lots of, of what we call staff augmentation, where you know, a company like TaskRabbit or Nestle will come in and say, look, just give me 12 engineers, plug them in. And so we do a lot of both. That's awesome. And, and one thing I talk about more with, with marketplaces in general, you mentioned having a starting a number of them over, over time. I mean, what are some things or takeaways you've taken from your experience of building marketplaces to then where you're at now in terms of building a marketplace? I know this is a new idea, a new concept with how you're doing it, but for other entrepreneurs out there who are interested in, in building marketplaces or who are currently trying to build a marketplace, I just feel like we got to have some of your takeaways, Adam, for best practices or anything you would like to share on that side of things. Yeah, there, there's there's a bunch, um, a bunch of kind of rules of thumb that, you know, you want to follow some of them. It's impossible to follow all of them. But the first right. one I would say is, um, you know, sell painkillers, not vitamins. And I, I will caveat that with all, the deepest, you know, 
sensitivity around the opioid crisis, which is Absolutely. not a joke. Um, but but the, the meaning of that adage is sell something that people need and, and, and solves a real problem, not not nice to haves. And right. so, you know, um, that is something so many startup founders just ignore. And, you know, when you're in the vitamin business, uh, it, it, it is not good when 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 times get tough. So um, and the second thing is, I, I would say, like, um, go where the money is. Right. So that sounds obvious. But, you know, if you're building a two sided marketplace, make sure one side has unlimited potential demand. Yeah. And so for us, um, so, so direct consumer marketplaces are terrible, 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 terrible place to be. Even at scale, these are awful businesses. Look at the gig economy. There's not a good business in that crop. Uh, pl plenty of investors and founders became billionaires from it. Sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but those are shitty fucking businesses yeah. that overly extract from their users. So one of the reasons Braintrust built for the enterprise is the, the enterprise has unlimited money. And uh, uh, for, for especially in the talent category, they, they can never hire enough people and they have, you know, a lot of budget. And so enterprises are, are very difficult to deal with by design, right? They're, they're, they're sophisticated organizations built so they don't make mistakes, right? There's a, you have to respect how the American enterprise has organized itself. And then if you're, you know, build yourself to accommodate them, you know, for instance, Braintrust built a system where we have one entity that can get through their procurement and, and has lots of insurance and satisfies all their security and legal and regulatory needs so they can easily spin up, spin down talent. Whereas, you know, other marketplaces simply don't simply ignore that. Right. So, so, you know, sell something important and build it for the enterprise. Those are my, my two big ones. And with branch trust too, being a kind of a different model with how you're going to go about this fundraising for the company. I mean, how was that pitch or that process different? I mean, it's obviously a benefit of having sold companies before. Clearly you can't understate that enough, but like that's, I think we, we get, but it, it is a new model, a new thing you're doing. So how is that fundraising side of it for brain trust gone then? Sure. Yeah. Well, a short answer is not that easy. Uh, <laughs> long Always answer difficult. is, yeah. I mean, look, the story is this, um, brain trust, isn't your normal marketplace. It's it's a, what we call a global protocol for matching talent with companies. And it's like, okay, well, what the hell does that mean? Well, <laughs> let's think about the switch gears to blockchain for a minute, right? Yeah. Bitcoin is a protocol for money, right? right. It's it's something that it, it's at the end of the day, it's it's digital cash according to the white paper. It, it's actually more like digital gold in practice. Uh, but it is a, you know, it, it's a, it's a non-sovereign store of value and, um, and it's immutable. It can't be turned off. Um, Ethereum is a protocol for smart contracts, right? It, it is immutable, trustless, can't be turned off and it can run any program, right? And, and so that's really, and so Ethereum enables for a token to be, to be, to exist and, and to be secure. And a token can represent ownership and control in a network. And so brain trust is, is a protocol built on Ethereum for matching labor and demand labor and companies. And so just like Bitcoin is not a profit seeking entity, Ethereum is not a profit seeking entity. Neither is brain trust. Brain trust yeah. is a, what we call a public good in economic terms. I'm sure you, you, you hit that in business school. We're building a, a public good 
And so we are not here to tax our citizens and become wealthy from those taxes. We are here to charge a low enough fee, which is 10% to the client, 0% to talent, just to sustain the protocol. And by building this protocol, we grow the pie. We enable, by having these low fees, we enable a whole new class of transactions that you would never see on an Upwork or a Fiverr or a 99, right? These are eight, seven, eight, nine hundred thousand dollar jobs. It'll double next year, average job size. Wow. And so we are not here to make money off of brain trust per se. We are here to contribute us and dozens of other uh, little dev shops like ours and, and thousands of other freelancers are all contributing to build brain trust as a public good because we will all benefit from it. Just like the creators of Ethereum all benefit from Ethereum, you know, smart contract platforms. There's been hundreds of now, you know, medium, small, medium, large businesses that, that exist because of Ethereum. Brain trust is, is similar for, for labor. That makes a lot of sense. And, and, and with that, with your experience of uh, in the last number of years, I had to, had to talk about Doctor on Demand because you co-founded that, were CEO for a bit as well. They've, I mean, raised $165 million in VC. Take me through that idea and how that came about. I, I want to get some uh, insights into that experience as well. Sure. This, the founding story for Doctor on Demand is shockingly simple uh, and kind of funny. So I had just sold my second company, which was an automotive marketplace. We sold it to Advance Auto Parts, which is a retailer. I um, was just coming to the end of that earnout, and I got a call from my dear friends Nirav and Sarah, uh, Nirav Tolia, uh, from um, uh, Nextdoor. These are the co-founders of the Nextdoor neighborhood app, um, Sarah Leary. And uh, they called me and said, hey... Uh, we have a friend of ours who is in the television business who wants to start a medical app. And we thought you'd be a good candidate for someone to build it and run it with them. And Sarah and Nirav have been dear friends and mentors to me for a long time and such amazing entrepreneurs. I have so much respect for them. And so I said, okay, uh, I'll meet with whoever it is. And so uh, I show up at the restaurant and it turns out to be Dr. Phil from TV. <laughs> Daytime that's, TV and his son, incredible. Jay McGraw. And so, so Phil McGraw and his son, Jay McGraw, Jay, Jay's my age. Um, we are, so they, they're sort of serial entrepreneurs on television. So they in books, like media, they're, they're, they're prolific media entrepreneurs. Uh, and so Jay has this daytime show called the doctors and, and their idea was simple. It's like, Hey, this is back in 2012 when it's like, there's an app for that craze going everywhere right, for everything. Um, yeah. For everything, yeah. And so there were no medical apps back then. And so their idea was, hey, look, America has this huge access to primary care problem. Like you don't feel it in this big in the coast as as much as you feel it in the rest of the country. But you know, back then it took two three weeks to get a primary care appointment, and uh, urgent cares were always had eight hour waits and all this stuff. And so their idea was, hey, look, if there's an app for everything, like let's make a simple, easy to use app where you can video chat with a doctor for non-emergency medical stuff or therapy. And then if it's appropriate, get a prescription, send to a pharmacy, and you just have a 10, 15 minute call on your app and you, and you save yourself the headache of, you know, taking time off work and going to urgent care and all that. And they're kind of pitching this to me at lunch. And I, I said, you know, uh, I don't know a damn thing about healthcare uh, other <laughs> Yeah, you know, other than the the experience sucks, right? I'm I'm a user experience engineer and designer and product manager, and I just, I know UX and UX on healthcare is terrible. 
So this sounds great, you know, and, and so it was the story of a TV producer and an Internet geek going out to start a hospital uh, online. And um, it was what I loved about that business is it was, the learning curve was steep, but um, I didn't bring all the kind of healthcare baggage with me. You know, there's a lot of brilliant people in healthcare, but not a, not a lot of great UX people. And they don't think about patient interaction much in that industry. And so that was our edge, that and uh, Dr. Phil reaching 33 million people a week on his TV show. <laughs> that certainly uh, does not hurt, Adam. <laughs> and that's why I said, so it's like when I said, when you start a marketplace, like get, get an unfair advantage, right? Like it don't, don't bother with two-sided marketplaces and you can, unless you can manufacture a, a, an unfair advantage. In Brain Trust's case, it's users being owners because of this new technology. Uh, so we can cut the fees down. That's a giant unfair advantage. In Dr. On a Man's case, it was access to, to, Jay and, and Phil McGraw's television audiences. And that's how we bootstrapped that company. And yeah, I ran it for four years as CEO. We grew it from a small cash pay direct to consumer system uh, into what's now the you know largest video visit system in the country, one of the largest hospitals in the United States by visit volume. Um, and, uh, and and four years in, we, we sort of, I, four years into my tenure as CEO, we we were at this giant enterprise healthcare company and we decided, you know, it's time to put a real manager in place to, to grow this thing <laughs> and, and hopefully take it public. I'm, I'm very much a zero to one guy uh, as I learned about myself in that experience. And so we put in a friend of mine, Hill Ferguson, who's, who's to this day, our CEO, they went, they just raised a $75 million series D from uh, general Atlantic and hopefully next stop IPO. We'll see. Yeah. And with that, understand that you've, you've built a number of different companies over time and uh, obviously been really successful with these, but even going back earlier, early, early days, I mean, did you always kind of think you'd be an entrepreneur? I'm just curious in kind of the early days of growing up and do you think you would be in this type of world of entrepreneurship? Uh, there was no other type of world. I'm, I'm so chronically unemployable. It's, it's not even funny. Um, my, my first business as a kid was, uh, I grew up in Northern Ohio where there's two seasons blistering summer heat and frozen tundra winter i'm from wisconsin and, i'm very aware of that <laughs> yeah yeah same same as you guys yeah I mean, you yeah. might even have a little more snow than us but um and so uh in the summer my job was to cut the grass and and whatever and mulch the the yards in the winter it was to shovel the driveways and um by the time i was 14 i was burned out on on physical labor and being outside and and so, you know, I, I started, a, I got a job at a computer store and then started a computer business and I've been running businesses, software businesses since college. And, um, yeah, look, I mean, every time I've had a job, it's, it's not, you know, I worked it into it for a while. I sold my first company to them. Brilliant company. It was Brad Smith, the, the most recent CEO, uh, acquired our business. He's a, he's an amazing guy. Uh, you know, I didn't, it was, it wasn't for me, the advanced auto parts, same deal. That wasn't, wasn't a great experience. So no, no fault of theirs. They're wonderful people. It's just, I, I don't, uh, and I've talked to other large companies here and there, but you know, talked to Google and, um, about taking management roles and that's yeah, just not for me. I, I just need the creative outlet of, of, of building new types of businesses. You know, one thing I want to go back to real quick, uh, it's funny you mentioned like mulching and doing that type of stuff as growing up in the Midwest and that leading to you wanting to not do physical labor. I was landscaping for a summer in Wisconsin. I was like, I do not want to do physical labor and started doing like online, like firstly personal training, but then building a, a online platform, uh, it's called Just Go Fitness, uh, where I could reach people through a blog and everything else because of that exact reason. It was like, I don't want to just do this type of work forever. Uh, and it leads to some interesting things. And and to what you said, 
to your point of you're just unemployable. Did you knowing that though over time? I mean, did you negotiate differently when you sold companies, understanding like there's typically an earnout potentially? Did you negotiate with that and kind of try not to get that eventually, or how did you go about that? Well, it was different every time. And and to be very fair, like my first two businesses, I was not CEO. I was co-founder and CTO or head of product. And so I, I've I've had some very very strong and and, and inspiring. Uh, mentors in in co-founders over the years. Uh, Phil McGraw and Jay McGraw, my my most recent, but before that, uh, Trevor Trena, who's who's now our ambassador to Austria, and Jad Dunning and Kendall Fargo. These guys taught me. Their generation ahead of me. They they taught me how to do this stuff. So every time we went through it, it was a different experience, obviously. And also, like I grew up pretty poor, and 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 then graduated with a boatload of student debt, as most of us do. And and so, you know, not having a job wasn't like top three for me when I was in my early twenties. It was like, <laughs> okay, I gotta pay this fucking debt off and yeah, exactly. get out of this. Sucks this so much. Yeah, this American student mess that our parents' generation has created for us. And so uh so yeah, y- y- look, I'll probably never sell a company again that I founded. Uh because because brain trust can't be sold. It's it's a public it'll be a public decentralized network that you know anybody right. can buy a piece of but it can't be acquired. Um and this sure as hell won't start another venture back company after this. There's just no reason to. Um, so yeah, look, you you know you graduate at each one, and I wouldn't if I had to do over. Like I got so much out of those experiences. I didn't love working for those companies, but I sure got a lot out of it. And that you know that's how you learn. Yeah, and yeah, you, I'm sure you learned a ton through that process. And and one thing too is obviously you're, you're an angel investor or investing in a number of different companies as well. Take me through how that got started and how that's gone for you in terms of what you're looking for, maybe, or even like what you've learned along that side of things as being an investor is on top of being an entrepreneur now. So I had two goals when I started angel investing, maybe 13 years ago or so after my first exit. Um, the first was learn, like get leverage, get intellectual leverage by putting small checks into dynamic teams and then watching how they do it. Right. Yeah. So I'd write 10, you know, 25, 50,000 checks into, you know, things like Reportive, you know, which is the uh, the CEO, Rahul Vora, who's now running Superhuman, which is Superhuman, just yeah. yeah. So I was, you know, first check into both of those companies. And you know, I got this, you know, Rahul's a little younger than I am, but but just this amazing product person, operator. So you put, you know, and then, um, you know, I was first check into Zenefits. Got to see that whole thing unfold front row, uh, you know, and, and Parker's a, you know, a, a monster operator and, um, and, and dozens of others. And, and so my first goal was learn from these guys as an operator. How do the other operators do it? And there's no better way to do that than putting some money in. And the second was to make money. Right. I, I still wasn't wealthy at the time. And so um, I didn't want to I wasn't just pissing checks away. I, you know, I, I like, you know, so I so I learned how to do the diligence and de-risk these deals and I learned early on that if you if you bet on the right entrepreneur in the right space, they basically can't miss because they'll just get talent acquired, aqua hired. Yeah, and hired. so I'll I'll get my money back or I'll get two X back. And that's happened a bunch of times. There's been very few times I've actually lost money. Uh, and it's only been when I've gone out of my lane. I bet on a beer company. It didn't work out. I bet on some real estate deal. It didn't work out. Almost every tech bet I've made. Uh, I've at least, you know, gotten one or two X, some of them, you know, 10, 1500 X. 
but but so those were but but you got to stay in your lane, right? I learned every time I left my <laughs> lane that I was going to get my my ass kicked. So so I only bet on things I understand, and that's you know SaaS, data science, blockchain, um, deep tech. That that's what I love. And so um, and if you bet if you, like if you write checks into things you don't care about, you know you're I mean you're you're not going to get anything out of it, right? And and, and to like to make early stage tech a viable asset class for you and your family as a as a capital allocator, unless you're gonna go be a VC, don't bother. Put put it into funds, right? So I'm an LP in a handful of funds because these managers are way better. They 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 do it full time, right? They just do it better yeah. than I could. And so angel investing is generally a, a you know it's it's a reckless kind of way to make money. Um, <laughs> You know, it's like it's just you're you're, general, you're on average you're just not probably not going to do that well. But but if you love it, it, I mean, it's it's a passion for me. It's more of a hobby, and and so uh, I do less of it now because I'm so absorbed with this new project. But um, but that's what it's meant for me. Well, for that too, then I mean, how are you, especially when those those first number of deals? Then obviously you mentioned you didn't have a ton of cash, but enough to put a few thousand in some companies. Where was that deal flow coming from at that point then? Yeah, it's all all network, all friends. So same reason you went to business school. Um, yeah. yeah, the kind of how it was up here in San Francisco. I, we'll see how this all. Is. I, I'm sure this will all come back at some point once this COVID stuff uh, gets a vaccine or whatever. But um, this is why San Francisco is San Francisco. You can plop down in the mission or in Soma and just you know indulge yourself in the culture, the the startup people, the technical people, and that's the future, right? Like I, I remember like watching Jack, Jack Dorsey walk around South Park when he was coming up with Twitter. You know, it's I, I sadly was not an investor in it, but you know <laughs> that look that th there's a couple square miles in the city of San Francisco where all this stuff starts, and that has been true for decades. Or, or, or you know, it used to be in Palo Alto and whatever. You know, that came up to San Francisco, and uh, ho hopefully that comes. Maybe it doesn't come back. Who knows? Maybe maybe it'll happen over Zoom in the future, but. Um, but, but that's, that's where the deal flow comes from that, and you immerse yourself in it, you know, it's a very open environment. Like the people at San Francisco is, they're very collaborative. It's not like wall street where everybody's trying to screw you and it's zero sum thinking. This is very positive sum thinking. And it's, it's an amazing place to be, you know, it's, um, and so, uh, th that's how like such an relatively unlivable place like the city of San Francisco, you know, can be this, you know, kind of Mecca for innovation. Understanding that side of things, that's where you got a lot of your deal flow and that's where you networked as well. Even within that, you mentioned being an LP as well on different funds. I, why did you decide to do that versus just staying, sticking with the angel investing potentially or other options for, for allocation? Why did you decide to be, go an LP route as well? It, you know, it, I mean, laziness is the main reason. <laughs> you know, you, gr you grow up, you get older, you have kids. I have two kids. Um, I don't, you know, like if you got to choose. So, when I was in San Francisco in my in my twenties and thirties, um, I would every night I'd go out and hang out in the coffee shops, go to the you know these the meetups. I you know went to all the meetups. That's how I got up to speed in blockchain. You know, and that's like that's what you do, right? And then when you have kids, like you you not always, I guess, but maybe want to spend more time with them. <laughs> I generally do. you want to spend time with your kids. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, so not everybody does, but, but you know, no, no fault to anybody who doesn't want to do that. I, I wanted to. And, and so that's what I do with most nights now. Um, and so you got to have, you got to get leverage on your time. And so paying somebody two and 20 to do it is, it makes more sense. 
Yeah, no, I understand completely. And, and, and with that too, then uh, understand there's there's so many different options for what you have to do with your time, and you're 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 working on a lot of different things. And now with with brain trust, I mean, how are you looking at managing your time day to day? What you do within that, with understanding that there's a lot lot to do with brain trust, and obviously the family as well. I'm just curious on your thinking around that. For sure, um, I so first of all, like brain trust isn't a job for me. I don't I don't pay myself anything. Uh, I'm not on payroll. Like it, brain trust is a passion project that yeah. I do as a hobby, right? Like you can, like nothing else professionally, nothing else matters to me. And the reason I'm doing brain trust, it's not because I'm like fascinated by placing engineers into companies like Nestle. Like that's just <laughs> where we're starting. Right. And I, I sure. mean, I, I, I am very passionate about that right now, but that's not the main goal. The main goal is to prove the following statement. User-owned and operated networks will grow faster and become more valuable than investor-owned networks. That's a big idea, right? That's going to change how the entire economy works. It's going to it's going to change wealth creation. It's going to change wages. It's going to change it's going to help I think help close this giant income gap that America has generated for itself. And so this is our brain trust is sort of step one, but, but like we're going to, you know, this is open source. We're doing this all out in the open. Someone's going to take this playbook and apply it to food delivery. And then someone's going to do it to e-commerce. Right. And so this is my contribution there. Not in my, I mean, my founders and my, in our team. Um, but this is, uh, this is our intellectual and, and operational contribution to the world. And so, I mean, I know you asked me about how I spend my time. I mean, like, this is all I do, right? I, <laughs> I, I breathe, think, dream everything about this. It's my mission right now is to do this. And, um, and it's, you know, it's working. We're, we're going to be, we're at scale now. We're going to be giant next year. And then someone will do it next year to, to ride sharing. And like, so Uber will eventually go to zero because of this model, right? There's just no, no doubt in my mind. And so, um, I like, you know, have dinner with my family every night. I try to read to my kids and put them to bed every night. Um, you know, like I can have a family life, you know, and also pursue this goal at the same time. And fortunately I don't have to commute downtown or get on a plane anymore. <laughs> Helpful. Yeah. <laughs> Freeze up some more time to spend more on the, the, the passions you have in life. And, For uh, sure. Adam, we could obviously spend hours and hours talking. There's just so much to go into your, your background. I want to be respectful of your time. Where can people go to learn more about brain trust and all you're working on? Yeah, sure. Uh, Brain Trust is at usebraintrust.com and um, find me on LinkedIn and friend me there. I like to uh, I like to communicate with people on LinkedIn. It's great. And on Twitter, I'm Adam Jackson SF. Perfect. I will be sure to link that all up in the show notes as well. Just go grind.com slash podcast. Adam, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Really enjoyed the discussion. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. JustGoGrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.